Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roll Up, the official Phil Singer Games podcast. I am Sam Fain, joined this week by Todd Gershel. It's just the two of us this week, isn't it, Todd? It's uh, nice and intimate here, Sam. Uh, but <laughs> don't have Mike uh, cramping our style today. But <laughs> right, right. We're going to get into a real good flow. No, we'll, we'll, we'll miss Mike uh, a lot, but uh, he had some other obligations this week. So uh, we've got a fun episode, though. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, I, I know uh, for a fact it's one of Todd's favorite talents, one of my favorite talents. We'll be diving into our very first Legends Spotlight on the podcast. Really looking forward to. Um, but first, let's go ahead and just dive right into our opening bell we have had uh a couple of announcements we we covered our our promoter prime legends announcement from last week on on the last episode which was of course scotty riggs uh so we can start with monday's ftr announcement which is quest who is the detective uh who's been investigating ftr and the disappearance of blue chip uh now he has a a a player card and people seem to really like the art quite a lot they're jazzed for the storyline um Todd, what are your thoughts on Quest? Yeah, Quest is pretty cool. I was uh, not sure what to expect, you know, of him when I first heard him, you know, what he would look like or whatnot. And uh, definitely a really cool look to Quest. Uh, I think, you know, Rob Rob did a great job kind of bringing something different uh, to him uh, than your typical detective. I wouldn't want to mess with that guy. Right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's got some guns there, you know, and not talking about, uh, you know, the (laughs) The, the sidearm. Uh, but no, no, I think, and you know, I got a peek obviously at the, at the stats and, you know, some cool, cool mechanic there, yeah. uh, which was kind of referenced during the teaser as well. So, uh, definitely awesome. Uh, you know, look, yeah, I think people really get a kick out of the book and, and, uh, how it's formatted there with, uh, some of his investigations going on there. So, you know, once, once you get there, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely really, uh, you'll enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know, having the the fortune of, you know, seeing uh, um, both the booklet and those stats, uh, I think that um, the the way that his story kind of evolves throughout uh, the the booklet is interesting, and of course the function that he plays in the storyline. Um, but uh, the stats, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but I think. Um, people will probably be really interested in, in kind of where he sits on the card, if you will, just based off his stats. Um, I know I was, and and I think that he's got a great uh, storyline behind him too. So it'll be, it's going to be a great addition to the fed and the fact that now, you know, he, he goes from being kind of this guy in the background asking questions to being an actual participant in the ring, uh, which is really cool. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, we had our Indies announcement on Wednesday, which is Iron Beast, the team of Shane Mercer and KTB. Um, they have been around individually for a while um, and, uh, you know, teamed a couple of times before they kind of officially formed Iron Beast. But as Iron Beast, they've only been around for about six months. So this is a really fresh team uh, yeah. in, in a lot of respects to add to the Indies uh, game set, which is cool. Um, and they both, uh, you know, have been all over the place. Uh, GCW a lot lately. You were mentioning beforehand, KTB has has gotten a little a little exposure through uh, one of the bigger promotions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Been a little bit, been a little bit on the, the dark, uh, 
show on uh, Tuesday. So yeah, definitely good to see him getting uh, getting some work out there. Uh, yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen a ton of them. I've obviously heard the names there, especially K- you know, Kyle, Kyle the Beast. That's what the KTB stands for mm-hmm. for those who are not you know not uh, in tune there. Uh, <laughs> but definitely, you know, some some cool guys have gotten a lot of buzz the last couple of years. Ones that we want to include in now. I figured you know since they have kind of formed a tag team at least in some places, I figured you know it made sense to include them into here. Like last year, we had. Uh, both uh, um, Alex Zane and Blake Christian, who are kind of singles guys, but then also kind of form a you know a pretty regular tag team in, in that set. So this is kind of like that representation uh, in this set as well. Yeah, and you know, and, and the cool thing is, is that you know you've got a guy like uh, Shane Mercer who's been around you know for about a decade now, um, and, and is really somebody that a lot of people like. Um, he he's he's uh, you know not huge uh but he's jacked and uh you know has just got a great great look um and he's great in the ring so i'm really looking forward to seeing the stats that that zeke has prepared for him and then with ktb kyle the beast you know here's a guy that's just that is that is a beast i mean he is huge if you've not you know if you've not seen him but the thing is is like he he, he's also got quite a bit of speed and and agility and uh you know some people would even look at him and 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 talk about his high flying skills which is kind of crazy he's he's a high flying big man which isn't something that that's totally you know out of the norm we've seen guys like you know donovan dijek for instance uh sure. he's just one of the guys that popped in my head um who's a guy that can fly around the ring and, and yet is pretty huge but um super exciting to have them in the game and uh you know i think that the indies line um lately has just really been firing on all cylinders with the signings because y- you know if you want to mimic any of the big indie feds that are out there, you can pretty much draw up the entire card. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, via Twitter and text messages, there was a, a big uh, uh, AIW show from Cleveland and pretty much the entire card, I think with maybe one exception uh, in the women's match, we have cards for, right, right. Uh, which is always cool to see. Cause it's like, you know, you could, I mean, when you're running your indies fed, you, you can put together that talent roster easily. So, um, after, after uh, you're watching the show there and listening to the AAW podcast this week, I now want a uh, indie style uh, Wildfire Tommy Rich card. Right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, it was so cool to see him. I, I, I was honestly, I was a little bit bummed that he didn't actually get to do the singles match with Mance Warner because man. I just felt like the two of them would have, you know, would have had well, a hell of a fun if, match. If you listen to the uh, Card is Going to Change podcast with uh, John Thorne, they talk a little bit about that. I think. A Originally, they were going to do a whole just singles match, and yeah, I think uh, yeah, Tommy, yeah, he, yeah, he. I think the quote there was like, "Yeah, I don't do jobs, and I'm not starting tomorrow." So you know, he's (laughs) like, (laughs) and uh, yeah, so they kind of were you a little creative around that, but I think uh, yeah, what was really cool there is I think he he kind of got the the you know was really a good experience for Tommy, so I'm sure that you'll see him again. Uh, back there, well, I, I love AAW because they they bring in all the legends there, and I think they they do a good job of like showing them respect, but kind of having a good time for them. And I think the guys like like to work that and have a good um, you know have have good word of mouth. So yeah, uh, I'm sure you'll see him back and like teaming up with a uh, little Guido and stuff like that, a little FBI reunion there. So again, we need a little Guido card. You know, I, I right. messed up not getting him signed. I didn't have a form with me when oh, I saw no. him at the at the at the bar that night, but uh, uh, hopefully in the 
the in the future we'll be able to get a little, little FBI action ourselves in the game. That'd be awesome. I would love that. I mean, we've got Tracy Smothers, so I mean, you know, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah exactly. Gluto, you got all three. But uh, one of the things that was really cool too about that show uh, is that you had. Uh, you know, Tommy Rich, who's who's obviously kind of iconic from the 80s. And then you had Shane Douglas, who who certainly fills kind of an iconic spot for a lot of people of the 90s. And then they also brought Eddie Kingston in, who especially for the AIW crowd is very much kind of iconic of their, you know, kind of, you know, mid 2000, 2010. So it was really neat that they were able to kind of span in, in a way almost span the generations with some of the, the talent that they brought back right. uh, to feature on the show. And Kingston and Dominic Gurney had an incredible match. Match. Oh yeah, uh, I, I yeah I, I love that match. So um, and on top of it all, you have you know Bill Alfonso who's managing Matthew Justice. Yes. So uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was just it was kind of a classic evening and and and, and a lot of new talent too, which was cool. The main event yeah. is spelled M A N E by the way uh, had a, an awesome match. And the the funny thing is is they then were on dark like yeah. the very next uh monday or tuesday so yeah yeah uh, right, right after i'm like oh these guys are bad okay yeah. i've never seen them before then so like oh they're on they're in dark i'm like oh wow okay these and they're great good. they're great yeah i yeah the, the, i take it back because we don't have them signed in the game so, so i guess that would be two others but uh yeah I, I thought they were fantastic and uh i hope to see more of them but yeah uh and maybe maybe we will have them in the game sooner Hopefully. rather than later you never Hopefully. know uh, again, no, no, no plans for another tag team set this year for sure. But you know, things may change. We're kind of figuring out our second half of the year in the, the Indies calendar. Right on. I think we have a good, good sense of most of what's coming up with legends there. Um, and then, uh, you know, champions, we know what's coming up, uh, there as well, but the Indies we're kind of leaving it open with think We have a couple ideas what's going to happen there. Do you want to tell anybody what's coming up for legends? Uh well, <laughs> well I can say we do have the last Legends card uh, for the four pack will be announced this Friday. Yes, and I think there's been some talk. I know, um, you know that the oh I think there's maybe another you know there's talk of another card that had a new a new uh, new person in it, new brand new to the game, and I will confirm that is true, and it's going to be more than one new person on that card. That's another little tidbit there. Just a little teaser for the teaser. Just madness, insanity yes. here over at Phil Singer yes. Games. Yes. Uh, I think people will be very uh, pleased uh, with with the card. Uh, I really do. Um, the uh, and then of course on the indie side of things, you know, they're getting kind of a two for one on, on Wednesday with the announcement there, uh, and that will lead into following Wednesday's announcement, which will be the Prime announcement. So that'll be right. really cool. Yeah, so next the, the the next week there will be obviously on, on Monday we'll have the the final uh, FTR uh, name and, and artwork for the, for the last card there. We will have all three names for Prime, and then we will uh, show all the uh, Prime art uh, for Legends as well on Friday. So there'll be the last name unveiled, and then you'll see the Ranger Ross art along with that. Then, which I Excellent. just got just got right before. Uh, Right before we started recording tonight, I got Ranger Ross as well. So we're, we are very, very close to uh, getting everything done here and uh, hopefully get into everybody's hands as soon as possible. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I, there's one of the Indies names in particular, in particular for prime that I'm really looking forward to and seeing what, uh, what people's thoughts are. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's shaping up to be a really cool release season. And obviously with the, the, you know, the switching around of FTR, uh, and the center set, uh, I think that, that people are really jazzed for, for FTR. And it's, yeah, you know, I think, it's just, I think it works out well, just kind of having the last one with FTR, right into here so just the continuation of the story so people can kind of just play their ftr fed and maybe that kind of lasts them right up until it's time for you know origins 2137 to come in uh and you know and take the whole world by storm then so absolutely uh, i think it i think it kind of i think it worked out pretty well uh there you know, I'm going to throw out some idle speculation. I haven't mentioned this on the boards. And I say this, of course, having absolutely no inside information whatsoever, because, you know, when it comes to, to Tom uh, and, and, and his writing, I don't know anything. Uh, I don't but, know anything either. Well, so, right. You know, you know, when it comes to Tom, but believe me, you know, people think I know everything is going, nah, 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 not on that side. But it's fun. It, it, it's just fun to speculate, speculate a little bit, especially considering that on the boards, there'd been some chatter about the Aetherns. And, and, and about Aether Overmaster in particular, and certainly about some of the conversation that we even had on our last episode when we did the Tournament of the Planets yeah. that you had put together. And uh, I, you know, I'm kind of wondering, based off of what some of the things that people are saying, and, 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 and a couple of really valid points that were made in particular about the fact that, you know, Overmaster came in and, you know, was kind of like, hey, things aren't working out. We're not the team we used to be. I'm going to take us to the top. And now, you know, with this past year in particular in 2136, the notion that, hey, they're not really at the top anymore. Could there be, you know, maybe a, another kind of shakeup or whatever? Um, and, 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 and I, you know, that, that was something that kind of got me on board. I was like, man, I wonder... I wonder if there, you know, if we will see something like that, um, you know, I don't know if that's the direction that, 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 that Tom would kind of probe at all, or, or if, you know, he's going completely other, you know, other places, but um, yeah, but I mean, yeah. This or, origins thing, I'm, I'm still trying to get a grasp on everything within the origins. It kind of seems like, you know, a little bit of a throwback to, you know, when sure. we kind of started with the galactic code there kind of bring, you know, reminiscing back to some of the, like the big groups at that time and, you know, gladiators, did start there so i i mean i wouldn't put it past you know to, to to do some type of a shake-up i don't know if that's a a focus or not or uh i mean there's some other you know some other teams that you know could have a spot like again last time it was more like royal court you know this time right. could it be you know could it be you know more focus on more titans uh, could it be sure. you know i guess i guess last time we did have a little bit of titans and and cta and 102 in there um you know could there be you know some more you know earth versus uh cygnus uh right or however we pronounce it apparently there was a lot of discussion on the threads about how we pronounce <laughs> planets i don't even know i'm not mark ashby i don't know how to pronounce everything uh perfectly so <laughs> well and you know you even have to wonder too uh you know we, we talked a lot about the enemen and stuff and, and you almost have to wonder it's like man will you know Will, will there be maybe uh, uh, some new animin? I mean, that would be really cool. Yep. Uh, uh, there, there are a lot of a lot of ways that obviously uh, the story can go, and, and there's only one person that has any idea of what that's going to be, and it's not either one of us. But <laughs> it is not. Uh, it's, not so. it's, it's it's you know it's exciting. Obviously, this time of year to start really kind of thinking about that because you know, we're, we're, we're not that far off really. When you think about it, we're about what, yeah. six weeks, six weeks away. Um, so, uh, maybe give or take, um, but, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to 2137 just because I know that I, I haven't actually had the chance to play 
2136 at all. It's just not where I'm at, but you know, I'm always reading the books. I'm always looking at the cards and kind of getting ideas in order. Um, and you know, 2137 rolls around and, and, and it'll be the same thing, you know, just kind of pouring over the book and, 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 and reading what he's got in store for us. So, um, so yeah, that's just a tangent that I decided to go on. It wasn't on our format sheet, but it popped into my head. So hey, yeah, there we are. I'm just going to go with that. Yeah, right. no, absolutely. Yeah, no, so, and, and you know, we're we're still trying to figure out exactly how everything will be released. You know, like last year, yeah. you know, nobody was nobody was at Galacticon, so we had to mail it out to everyone. This year, you know, we do have people there. We do want to make sure. So I mean, no matter what, you know, even if you know, we'll try to get it out a little early. It might not make it to everybody, especially folks overseas or people that you know in areas that the united states postal service just doesn't like to deliver timely to <laughs> you know it's very possible you might not have in time in which case we will make a you know pdf of the booklet available we will make it available for online in time for galacticon so you can be able to catch up even if you don't have it in hand but we're trying to get as much into people's hands uh as quickly as possible but we don't have an exact um grasp of all the dates just yet so. sure well, I know you'll do the best that you can. You, you always do. So, you know, people, uh, people can certainly be looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've had some kind of fun news, some exciting news, but there's, there's been some sad news um, this past week in, in the wrestling world. Um, uh, the passing of uh, ECW uh, extreme icon legend, if you will, uh, New Jack. Um, obviously yeah. there'd also been kind of the running, joke on the boards about you know getting new jack into the game at times and uh, uh which is always very amusing and, and clearly there are a lot of uh new jack new jack fans and you know maybe some that aren't but still we're having fun with with the joke sure. um todd what are your what are your memories or thoughts on new jack uh you know i missed a lot of the original run of ecw i did catch a lot afterwards and definitely you know appreciated um you know appreciated you know seeing some of like the wildness that he would bring um and yeah obviously i did see the dark side of the ring episode which was absolutely fantastic um and really kind of highlighted a lot of those things and brought a little bit of humanity to him as well which was which was kind of neat um yeah i did you know I did. I have seen New Jack before at a play at uh, you know actually the um, it was a pro wrestling syndicate uh, show in New Jersey. Uh, they'd have like these big conventions and stuff beforehand, and you know he was out there. And it was a day where uh, Jeff Guthers and I were meeting Alex Reynolds to, uh, before the uh, Champions of the Galaxy live event, and we got a video with Alex kind of you know, to promoting that for him being Wolf. Yeah. And, and and we saw New Jack there and we're like, should we go ask New Jack if he wants to be in the game? <laughs> and we both were kind of daring each other and neither one of us were like, nah, nah, you know, we don't want to do that. <laughs> so, you know, and he's just a timidity guy. And oh, it's like, sure. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. It is. And, it, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, I, you know, when I first moved to Pennsylvania, which is where my mom's, you know, kind of extended family was from, um, I, you know, I was 17 years old, but I had a driver's license and, you know, I, I, I hopped in the car and drove down to Wilkesbury because they couldn't come to ECW, couldn't come to Scranton anymore because they'd gotten thrown out of the, like the Catholic youth center that they used to, <laughs> um, they used Sounds to do shows right. at. Yeah. Uh, and this would have been like 90, 99. Um, and I, I went to my first ECW show in person, uh, you know, in Wilkesbury and, um, 
it, you know, New Jack came out towards the end and there was, you know, all the mayhem that you would expect. And, and I'll never forget, he, you know, he had, he had some vinyl records and he was like, you know, breaking them over people's heads and debris was going all over the place. And the security guards, which, you know, Atlas security has always been kind of known for being pretty abrasive and aggressive. Um, people would complain about them back in the day. Uh, they were, you know, they were trying to keep people away from grabbing this stuff. Uh, and there was a bloodied piece, a broken piece of vinyl record that New Jack like had in his hand and was kind of waving around, you know, doing his thing. And uh, and, I'll never, and he had this like kind of smile on his face and everything. And he just handed it to me because I was front row for the show. Oh, wow. And 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 I still have that. And I and I, I'll never forget that you know security was coming around and like taking stuff out of people's hands. And I was wearing, I bought, I bought, I was, I was oh god. I hate to even use this word because it's not my place to use carny speak, but I was such a mark back in the day, man. Such a mark. <laughs> I had a jean jacket, ECW jean jacket that they were selling like at the concession stand that nice. I bought like that night. So I'm nice. wearing it and it had an inside pocket. So I shoved the record, the broken piece of vinyl into the inside pocket so that they wouldn't see me with it. Yeah. Um, and of course, how completely unsanitary, like no. <laughs> it was blood on the thing, you know, but you I know didn't care. Blood was on there? I can't remember. It was probably Devon's, I think. I'm okay. pretty sure it was, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure the Dudley, he was, he was beating up the Dudleys but anyway um yeah so I, I shoved it into my pocket and uh uh I like I said I still have that uh, somewhere I, I honestly I, I know I know I have it but I'm not 100% sure where it is right now and uh the other thing that was really interesting is that I you know I'd never been to an ECW live show before but afterwards I went out to stand out back and I had met Tommy Dreamer at intermission because he was like signing autographs or whatever and I was standing out back with a you know a, a group of maybe like 15 other fans or whatever waiting hoping people would come out and they kept telling us like nobody's coming out nobody's coming out nobody's coming out and the group was larger at first I mean it was probably like 30 to 40 people standing there but it whittled down to about 15 and Sabu came out and you know people obviously want to talk Sabu but he just got in his car and drove off like right away um and then uh but then New Jack came out and the thing is, is I didn't know this at the time but New Jack apparently like he loved going out and like, he wouldn't really do anything, but he loved going out and kind of seeing the fans. And like, he gave a couple fist bumps and he was like, he was really kind of cordial. It was really strange because, you know, 30 minutes before he'd been just beating the living hell out of people with, you know, anything he could get his hands on and, you know, making people bleed and do And of course, by this time I, you know, I'd, I'd read about the mass transit incident. Like right, I knew right. his reputation I'd seen beyond the mat at this point, I think. So, uh, you know, I had an idea of, of, of kind of what to expect, uh, from him, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was an experience. And I saw him, I saw him two, I think two other times live after that one time in Binghamton and another time in Wilkesbury, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, like I said, it was an experience. It oh, was yeah. an experience. Um, and he was, he was unique. Uh, that was definitely the thing. The, the, one of the things that I came to appreciate about him more after the fact was the gangsters run in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um, the year they spent in Cornette's SMW really was, I, I mean, it, it, this word gets thrown around a lot, but it really was pretty revolutionary. You know, they were, you know, they were told to go out there and be extreme and, and to be, uh, I think Cornette literally said the words of them, go be racist, which... <laughs> You know, these days it's it, it's hard to apply that word to a person of color because, 
you know, so often racism is is made about power, and the idea is is that you know people in the minority have never had that same power. So it's it, it was even a controversial statement to make then. And of course, there's the very famous promo, the we have the first kind of promo that he had uh, in Smoky Mountain, where he went out and he told OJ that he did a good job, and that that was two down, and that like. That was all it took. After that, they were off to the races. Everybody hated oh. them. Everybody hated them. They told everybody that, you know, that because of affirmative action, they were they only needed a two count to win matches instead of oh, a three count. Oh, that's right. I yeah. remember that too. Yeah. Oh, geez. I mean, they, like, and I think it was, was it Ricky Morton? I think it might have been Ricky Morton. Uh, at the time, New Jack apparently had a Corvette, and uh, he, he loved this car. And Ricky Morton told him, don't ever drive that car to the matches. And New Jack's like, what do you mean? And he's like, go get the shittiest car you can find. I don't care if it costs $200. Go buy the shittiest car you can find. And you drive that to the matches because they're going to bust out your windows. They're going to cut your tires. They're, you know, all this sort of stuff. And to think that they were getting that kind of heat in like 1996. Right. Like that, I mean, even by 96, that really didn't happen. So, you, you know, they, they are, I think it was 95, but anyway, um, so yeah, they were, they were controversial. They were revolutionary. There was something else. And, and new Jack was the talker. Mustafa didn't, you know, talk, uh, and, and new Jack really, you know, Mustafa was probably not probably Mustafa was the better wrestler. Right. Um, right. not by much, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but new Jack was the one that really, you know, just, just changed, uh, a lot uh, of people's minds about, I, I think what, you know, what you could do in the business, especially as a person of color. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that all the, all the death defying dives that he did in ECW and all the crazy stuff that he did afterwards, uh, you, you can really just kind of go back to the stuff that they did in Smoky Mountain and see something that, that even now, I mean, especially now, even more so now, like they couldn't do that today, no, you know? No. Um, and, and, and it was pretty, yeah, controversial doesn't even seem like the right word for some of the things that they were doing, but uh, uh, yeah, a pretty, pretty incredible talent. And, and I was kind of moved because uh, his daughter um, posted some things on Twitter about her relationship with him. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was just very, very honest stuff that she was, that she was writing about. And uh, um, it, it sounds as though that things were good you know, at the end, but that they hadn't always been that way. And that, gotcha. that she had a lot of love and respect for him in spite of the fact that they didn't always have the best relationship. So anyway, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is, uh, it's always sad to, to say goodbye to somebody that's provided you with so many great memories as a fan. And um, he was intimidating. There were times when I was a little scared of the guy, even, even just <laughs> watching him on TV, yeah. you know, much less being in the same building with him. But, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he was, he was something else. Um Kind of on the on, on on the other end of the spectrum here, you know, about as old school as you can possibly get. Uh, we also lost uh, Don Carnodal, which just uh, occurred uh, just yesterday, I believe, at the time of recording. Um, uh, all all I've heard about his passing, we should note that New Jack passed away of a, a heart attack, um, uh, and uh, apparently Don Carnodal it, it was um, self inflicted. That's all I know. Um, I don't know, you know, anything more than that. Um, you know, uh, obviously, um, just horrible. You, you don't, you certainly don't want to hear anything um, like that with anybody. Um, but he was someone that took part in a feud that 
in a way is responsible for changing the business as we know it because his tag team feud with his partner, Sergeant Slaughter against Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat um, was the impetus for uh, there being a Starcade um, because they wanted to be able to have as many fans as possible to see the big blow off matches that they were having. And uh, people couldn't get into that match when it, when it took place. Um, originally in Greensboro, uh, they had, to, they turned away something, you know, like over a thousand people um, that wanted to come in and see. So that gave them the idea that they could do, you know, a closed circuit closed event, circuit. Oh, okay. um, you know, and, and then of course, Starcade led to a lot more and, and helped, you know, to kind of inspire the whole pay-per-view business and, and uh, when it came to wrestling. And so, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there were a lot of factors obviously involved in that and, um, you know, it's hard to point to one event, but I know that that's something that historically speaking, you know, you look at that cage match that took place between the four of those guys. And that was the thing that really kind of set off the idea that like, we need to find a way to get these matches to, to everyone and not just the people in the building. So, um, you know, an interesting talent, uh, a great talent, incredible tag team wrestler, three-time uh, NWA or Mid-Atlantic version of the NWA World uh, Tag Team Champions, uh, once mm-hmm. with Sergeant Slaughter, once with Ivan Koloff, and once with someone else that I can't I can't think of right now. I, I know he did oh, do a tag team movie. with his brother as well. I don't know if they ever won the championships there. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Slaughter. I, just, I know the, the the my first hearing of. Uh, Don Cornell, I wasn't you know too familiar on the Mid Atlantic days, but I know the when we were working with uh, CWF Mid Atlantic mm. uh, in the same area there, they did a Canoodle Brothers tag team tournament. So that's you know I remember hearing that you know he did team with his brother I guess at one point as well. So uh, uh, yeah, uh, it was with Bob Orton Jr. Actually, oh that um, makes sense. So right. yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, really, really, um, I think. Unfortunately, there's a lot of that footage that doesn't really, um, it's not as accessible um, as footage of of somebody like New Jack, for instance. Um, But uh, the, you know, the the stuff that he did in the 70s and the early 80s um, was certainly enough to put him kind of uh, towards the top there of of the Mid-Atlantic tag team. And, and, you know, anybody who knows anything about Mid-Atlantic, the tag team... um, division and, and, and rivalries and those championships were generally considered on par with any other title in the territory um, because the mid Atlantic and Jim Crockett's, you know, territory was, was originally based around tag team wrestling. Those were the main events on his cards. Um, you know, which is funny because there are some promotions like your territories, you look at like uh, Sam Muchnick in St. Louis, like he hated tag team. Well, he didn't hate tag team wrestling, but he didn't feature it very often. You know, he, it was very much more about singles competition. Whereas in the mid Atlantic was very much about tag team competition. So, you know, getting to the top of that particular division in, in, in that territory yeah. says something you know uh, and he did have a stint in the wwf as well um but uh yeah I, he was one of those guys whose name i knew growing up but i didn't know a lot about until you know probably like 10 years ago or so to be honest with you so yeah um you know, moving into our legend spotlight, the, the, it's, it's never an easy segue when you kind of move away from talking about people who have passed. But uh, that said, well, it's, you know, you know a, a, key, <laughs> a key date of somebody's passing coming up. Well, today, the day they were dropping this, which is. Uh, yeah. Uh, May 20th, 2011. I was in a McAllister's deli with a, uh, a 
sort of girlfriend and uh, and a buddy of mine eating lunch. Um, and you, Todd, you said that you were you were doing what? I was at a Greek festival uh, in New Jersey when I was living there. I remember, you know, seeing my looking at my phone and seeing. Uh, the passing of one uh, macho man, Randy Savage. Yeah, and I looked up at the TV. You know, there are a bunch of TVs in in McAllister's, and uh, it came on, you know, CNN or, or whatever news channel they had on. Um, and yeah, I was kind of uh, I was kind of floored, and and I saw the news early enough that it was reported that he died in a car accident. Mm-hmm. So it made it sound like the car accident was how he died. And it wasn't until later on that I found out that, you know, he had died because he had a heart attack while he was at the wheel. Um, but you know, we're not here to be maudlin. We're not here to, let's get to the happier times. Yeah, here. exactly. We're, we're here to do our very first legends spotlight. And as though we hadn't already given away, uh, it is indeed macho man, Randy Savage. Todd, I know you're a huge fan. Oh, yeah. He was my number one uh, guy, kind of grown up, kind of my number one collection. I mean, you can't see, you know, this is audio medium here, but if you were watching the Zoom we're recording, you could see uh, my Macho Man collection behind me of uh, figures, and I do have my Macho Man wrestling buddy over there as well. But, uh, yeah, that was my that was my guy. I mean, my, uh, you know, I, I started getting into wrestling uh late 87 and then you know wrestlemania 4 was the first um you know pay-per-view that i ever got and had a party at my house that was you know kicked all off so i mean that was prime time for the up you know for macho man on on some of the big stage there yeah yeah you know growing up for me i don't know if i've actually mentioned this before i know we've talked a lot about you know kind of childhood memories of wrestling but growing up i didn't get the chance to see a lot of the events live like mania usually not always but usually i got to see live a lot of times i had to wait until the vhs came out so those Mm -hmm. those coliseum home videotapes were everything to me when i was a kid you know and going to the video store and being able to rent those was, was just so important. And I watched obviously the, you know, the weekly shows uh, whenever I could. Um, But yeah, getting to see that stuff on VHS was always huge for me. And uh, you know, WrestleMania three, I do remember seeing live. And so I saw the, the steamboat match when it happened Um, for I think I saw four live as well. Five, I didn't see live and it tore me up because a friend of mine had it and I was at his house as it was getting ready to start. And my mom was like, we have to go. And I was like, we know no! the mega powers are exploding, mom. You don't understand. Um, but, but that said, yeah, I have, you know, I have uh, pretty, pretty early memories of Savage and he was somebody that, um, I always enjoyed a great deal. I, he he was, you know, a guy that I, I remember the day that he died, I posted on the message boards actually. And uh, maybe I'll dig that up here a little bit later. But one of the things that I said in that post is that he was one of the reasons that I was a wrestling fan. And by default, that made him a reason why I played this game. And I still feel that way uh, about him uh, to, to, to a big extent um, preparing for this, um, you know, I was watching uh, the DVDs, uh, the, that, that first DVD that WWE released, um, uh, Macho Madness. And mm-hmm. then they did the, uh, you know, that was just kind of a collection of matches with weird kind of comments interspersed in from Mike, Matt Stryker and Maria Kanellis, you know, and just 
kind of for the most part making very grown worthy puns and you know <laughs> impersonations or whatnot uh but the match is obviously uh, uh held up and, and the promos held up uh but then they ended up doing when you know they were going to induct him in the hall of fame then they did the uh the Randy Savage story, which was a really beautiful DVD. And, and, and in my opinion, especially after seeing the A&E biography, a far superior biography for the most part to that A&E bio, yeah. uh, although, you know, still very much WWE kind of whitewashed, you know, not, you know, but, but, but very good. Um, and then they also did a, a uh, unreleased uh, Randy Savage unreleased DVD, which is really cool because you get a bunch of matches on there that aren't, um, you know, readily available. <clears throat> and, you know, in the time of the WWE Network, rest in peace, uh, so much of the stuff was just easily available that you didn't necessarily need the DVDs. So they started putting out these unreleased DVDs, which were really cool because it was all this stuff from house shows and dark matches and, you know, international tours and stuff like that, which was really great. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, let's talk, uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, let's do, we're not going to do like a straight bio and, and get lost in the weeds and everything, but let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, in, in chronological order here, uh, Randy Poffo was born in Columbus, Ohio on November 15th, 1952. Um, his father, of course, Angelo Poffo, uh, who's a professional wrestler who holds the sit-up record. Uh, Guinness Book of World <laughs> Records, 6,033. He got to 6,000 and kept going because he wanted to do one for every year Jesus was alive. Uh, oh, did, did Is that still holding up at this point there, or did that get broken since? You know, that's a really good question, and I'm not sure. Um, I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, I'll have to find out here. Uh, oh, yeah, it got busted. It got busted big time. Okay. Holy... Wow, that can't be possible. Mark Feltz of Baltimore, Maryland, claimed the Guinness Book of World Records for the maximum number of sit-ups, completing 45,005 in 58 and a half hours. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay, then. Wow. I don't even... All right. Well, anyway, uh, so the more you know... Um, so uh, Angela Poffo, a Navy veteran, was, again, also a professional wrestler, has a game card, of course, um, released in Legends Prime. Uh, I don't know the year off the top of my head. Would that have been 2017? And also, uh, it was also in Poffo Madness was That's the first right. one, the black and white. That's right. Um, so it would have been, let's see. Uh, uh, 2013, I know, for the black and white. Um, and then 2000... 18 i think for the uh color one so i believe that's right actually it was 2017 it was 2017, 2017. Yeah, okay yeah um so uh the you know Papo had a, a a career um it was not necessarily one that i think was going to set the world on fire uh but of course you know when you're in that business you're you're in that business um and uh growing up the the son of a professional wrestler um you know obviously it was something that that Randy was was around uh quite a lot and so he um was very athletic growing up but uh his first love was not professional wrestling it was baseball 
Yeah, that's wild. It's kind of cool seeing all the uh, the fake uh, Randy Poffo baseball cards out there. <laughs> I, I love seeing those. Yeah, it, I, I like to get one anyway, even though I know it's it's not real. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you know one of the interesting things too that uh, about Savage is that even though he was born in Ohio and spent some time in other places, obviously with his dad traveling around, um, they moved to Downers Grove um, when uh, uh, Randy would have been in you know high school, junior high, high school, and so a lot of uh, his dad's work was in the Chicago area. So he wrestled in Chicago quite a lot, taking on guys like Vern Gagne and he, you know, was, was kind of entrenched in this area. Um, he graduated high school in Downers Grove and immediately was signed by the St. Louis Cardinals um, and sent down to his, uh, his farm team, their, their farm team rather um, in Florida. Uh, and while he was there, um, you know, he kind of got the the bug and said, hey, you know, I can do this other thing when I'm not, you know, doing baseball. So he, he grabbed a mask and he was the spider, uh, which is a very Spider-Man-esque character wrestling in Florida. Um, doing, doing Florida uh, kind of ironic given uh, right? what happens very much later in his career. But yeah, OK. Yeah. Um, you know, eventually, uh, unfortunately, due to injuries, uh, he actually messed up his right shoulder pretty severely at a home plate collision. I should mention he was a, uh, a catcher, um, although most of his minor league career was actually spent in the outfield, oddly enough. But it's funny when you look at Randy, you don't necessarily think, oh, yeah, he was a catcher. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, uh, but anyway, he, um, uh, you know, he messed up his shoulder. He actually taught himself how to throw, uh, with his left hand because he was right-handed, uh, because his right shoulder was so messed up. But even, even doing that, even going through that, he, uh, he was unable to continue his career and he was kind of dropped and, and bounced around a little bit. And, uh, you know, finally he realized it wasn't going to happen. So, he decided to, you know, pick up his dad's boots, if you will, and get into the wrestling business full time. Um, his dad early on felt that both Randy and his brother, Lanny, who also, of course, has a card, um, weren't necessarily getting the respect that they deserved. So they ended up um, forming their own fed uh, international championship wrestling which was uh an outlaw promotion um that, that kind of focused on the mid-americas went up against you know the awa um went up against uh, nick Goulis's territory and of course went up against uh jerry jarrett and jerry lawler's uh memphis territory which was the uh you know the biggest kind of fight that they had if you will uh you know the awa didn't pay them much attention they didn't really go after the awa but they went after on television they went after jerry jarrett's you know company and jerry lawler in particular savage would make challenges to lawler uh all the time on tv they would you know they would and 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 jerry jarrett is on the record as saying like why did they spend all their time all their promo time on tv talking about us you know they should have been talking about themselves and jerry jarrett had a hard and fast rule for all of his guys he said don't ever talk about them on tv i don't ever want hey, i don't care how many times they challenge you i don't care if they say you're sleeping with your sister don't ever talk about them on our tv uh why would we want to give them the free advertising um, eventually the company kind of, you know, went the way of the dodo and, uh, in spite of apparently a really cool feud between Randy Savage and Ronnie Garvin, uh, which does sound kind of, kind of crazy, the two of them, you know, mm. in, in some street fights and stuff. And when that happened, Jerry Jarrett, who thought that Randy in particular was very talented and very smart, uh, was like, why don't you come, why don't you come work for me? And, uh, and, and Randy did, um, and his debut on Memphis television is honestly one of my favorite Randy Savage moments 
ever. We'll put the link in the show notes. You can actually find it on YouTube. It is probably the most real you ever see Randy Savage up until maybe his, his work with DDP in, in 1997. It's um, maybe some of the stuff he did with flair, I guess in, in WWF felt, felt a little real, a little honest, but like, it's just so real and so unhinged at the same time. Uh, Really, really cool stuff. He was, uh, he was there for not quite two years, uh, more like a year and a half. And during that time, uh, he and Lanny had an awesome feud with the Rock and Roll Express. They did an amazing, which again, in 1985 or 1984, actually, this wasn't happening a lot. They, uh, they did a pile driver on Ricky Morton on a table, sent him to the hospital, like, you know, just, just drove people wild with all their, their craziness. And um, of course, also engaged in a feud with Jerry Lawler. Interesting of thing course. is, you is that Memphis, you know, and right? Not, not Jerry. I mean, come on, <laughs> you got to go for the king. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that at one point they actually teamed up. They teamed up to take on Jimmy Hart's army, uh, but all of that was, of course, you know, pretty soon dissolved when Savage turned on him one last time, and then they engage in a pretty, uh, uh, well, I don't want to say epic, but uh, a you know, big time loser leaves town match uh, for the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship, and uh, of course. Savage lost, and then spoiler he went, alert. <laughs> and then he went on up to uh, to New York, as they say, to Connecticut, and uh, joined the WWF. Um, I, I, I think it'd be pretty cool to kind of get a uh, tag team version of Randy and Lanny from that time period. I think that'd right? be pretty neat. You know, match them up with the Rock and Rolls. Uh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I agree. It's interesting because one of the things that you notice about Savage, if you watch those matches, is not a whole lot changed. Like he, when he, and this is something that we can talk about too, when he got to the WWF, he was pretty fully formed. You know, the, the, there was like, he was just one of those guys that knew what he was doing you know that that knew who he was that knew how to you know how to get what he needed out of a crowd and whatnot and there's no doubt that he learned and he grew at that that, during that time in memphis but it's just kind of fascinating to watch some of that memphis stuff and realize that that's randy savage like that's you know it's not you know there's little differences sure but uh uh, i've always been kind of fascinated by that and one of the things too that i've always enjoyed about him is the economy of movement there are a lot of wrestlers out there that, you know, there's, there's, they'll make a movement or, or they'll sell in a certain way. They'll do a certain thing. And, and it doesn't mean anything, you know, it's, it's like, it's like somebody who kind of like flaps their arms or moves their hands a lot when they're talking. It's like, they make so many gestures that, that it gets to the point where it's like, they're, they're just, their gestures don't mean anything anymore. Whereas with Savage, it's like <clears throat> every little thing means something. And I always, I, I always like that about him. Um, do you, have you seen a lot of, of kind of his initial matches in WWF? Uh, not a ton, probably not until after like, uh, not until like after WrestleMania two, I don't think, I don't think I have seen a lot of those initial ones. I have gone back and seen the, some of the manager search. I don't know if we're getting into any of that there. Totally. Uh, but I did see some of that, which I didn't, which I had seen after the Bam Bam Bigelow 
manager search that happened around before WrestleMania four. And they realized, wait, is the exact same thing they just ran with right. <laughs> Savage a couple of years before that. But <laughs> You know, it, one of the things that's interesting about Savage, obviously, uh, is, uh, you know, his, his talking because it was different. It was yeah. different from what a lot of other people did, but it wasn't completely different. You know, one of the things that we didn't mention earlier is that uh, his his trademark. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he got that from somebody else. Do you know who he got it from? Pampero Furpo. That's right. Uh, another alum of the game. Until, until the Cauliflower Alley card for uh, for Furpo came out. Yeah. That was mentioned. I'm like, I had no idea. Then learned about him uh, later on. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting that that was somebody that, um, y- you know, so Savage was wrestling as Randy Poffo and he went down to Georgia and only Anderson was like, you, you, you wrestle too savage to be Poffo, you know? And, and, and so we need to change your name. And they were just like, well, you said I'm savage. Let's just do Randy Savage. So that's, that's where he got the savage moniker. And when he was working with his brother, apparently, you know, on promos and stuff and trying to figure out like his style, you know uh, you know, Lanny was like, okay, you're a savage. Who's somebody savage. When I say the word savage, who's a wrestler you think of? And the first wrestler he thought of was Furpo, which I think is really cool that that was like, you know, that that was kind of his, his guy or whatever for, you know, for, for that uh, connection to be made. Um, But he always had a very unique uh, style, you know, in in his interviews and the intensity that he brought. And I think that that's one of the hallmarks that, you know, even with that, uh, if you go and you look at some of the early ICW stuff, um, uh, or, or of course you look at his Memphis run, um, it's, it's there, you know, it's already really there. The, but the, the real genius, like the real creative work would, would absolutely start to come in WWF when he started to do things that just, I mean, to this day, you know, you think about the cup of coffee promo, you know, oh, yeah. uh, or, or cream of the crop promo. Cream and it's crop. just like, yep. I mean, those, those are still, those are still kind of untouchable. I mean, those, those, as far as I'm concerned, reach kind of that same rarefied air as like hard times, like completely different, but yes. like still just as iconic in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah. Kind of capturing just the intensity of them there. Yeah. Maybe not like maybe a different type of emotion than the dusty ones, but yeah, just, but still kind of, yeah. Very, very memorable. Yeah. Um, Here's an interesting Memphis story that we'll go back to before we before we get on more some WWF stuff. Apparently, there was a time where the rivalry with the ICW and and the CWA uh, got so intense that some of Jarrett's guys started carrying guns because they just didn't know what you know Savage and, and his wrestlers were going to do. And there is a story uh, that that I have read literally three or four different versions of in fact even bill dundee himself has told two different versions of this story (laughs) uh about uh an an altercation that took place between savage and dundee in a parking lot and you know one of the stories that i've heard is that savage was with a few wrestlers from icw and dundee was feeling a little intimidated by these guys and they were kind of you, you know they were threatening him a bit so we went to to you know, put his bag in his trunk. And when he, when he reached into his trunk, he pulled out a gun. And then from there, apparently had a standoff with Savage. Savage apparently grabbed the gun, hit him in the face with it and broke his jaw. Dundee was off TV for a while after this. The other version of the story is that uh, there was no gun um, that Savage just ran up and sucker punched Dundee while he was standing there talking with a couple of other wrestlers from ICW or whatnot. 
Then there's another version of the story that involves like Dundee waving the gun at Angelo Poffo and Savage coming in and, you know, and, and hitting him uh, in the side of the face and breaking his orbital bone. And that was why he was off TV. Regardless, regardless of what happened, um, some version of the truth has to be out there because the, you know, everyone does say that this altercation did take place between the two of them and that Dundee indeed suffered an injury. Uh, I, the consensus I think is the broken jaw and was off TV for a while afterwards. Um, and they never, you know, the funny thing is, is they never actually, uh, really worked together when, when Savage was in Memphis. Um, and they were, they were kept apart and anybody who knows Memphis, you know, obviously like you've got Lawler, but Dundee was, you know, right there with him as far as being, yeah, you'd uh, think you'd think he'd be in a program with him at one point, but, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, back to WWF. It, you know, it didn't take him long to capture the Intercontinental Title um, in a in a great match with Tito Santana. Um, do you remember that match? I do. I did see it afterwards. I think in the Coliseum video or something. Uh, yeah, I didn't at the time. I did not, but uh, yeah, I did see it afterwards. So. Yeah, it's a it's a great match. Uh, you know the the finish is interesting because um, they they go very kind of uh, uh, old school dirty heel. You know he wins the title by hitting Tito Santana with you know uh, a roll of quarters or whatever yeah. he pulls from his tights. And uh, wasn't Danny Davis a referee in that match too? If I'm not gonna say, I, I know he didn't. No, I don't blatantly, blatantly cheat like he did. Uh, you know, in the tag team title match, like a little later on. But I, I thought maybe he was. I could be completely mistaken. You know, but I thought that like he Danny didn't catch that or something like that. It was almost like <laughs> right, the start. Right. Yeah, I, I you know I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, that that sounds. But like yeah, I do remember the roll of right. quarters and all that there. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah, very, very old, or speed. illegal steel object, as yeah. as it's uh, as it's phrased on Wikipedia here. Um, yeah, and that match was in the Boston Garden. Um, yes. you know, it's interesting looking back on some of these matches and following along. Is like, you know, you've got like the Boston Garden, you've got the Spectrum in Philadelphia, you've got Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, you've got the gardens in, in Toronto. Like these locations, these iconic locations that WWF used to kind of go to um, and have some of these big matches. Um, and the Boston Garden was a really Really cool location i think for savage because he also had an amazing match with ricky steamboat there as well mm-hmm. um which helped to kind of lead to their their big match at wrestlemania 3 um it's interesting to think that his first wrestlemania was wrestlemania 2 and he had a match with george Steele. what did you think of his feud with george the animal steel oh that, yeah definitely definitely great there um yeah that's like i think the First, I, I mean, when I was first kind of learning about him was watching like the old WrestleManias. Like I again, I came in right around three. So once three was out on, on you know VHS, I watched one, two, and three, and yeah, that was that was a lot of fun uh, with him and you know the, the little love triangle with Elizabeth yeah. and how it eventually would come back to bite him. You know, a year later at WrestleMania three. Right. Yeah. That, that kind of storytelling, uh, I, it was really strong for them back then. And, and Savage's story, you know, I can remember, I was so young, but I can remember, you know, uh, watching along and being, you know, in George Steele's quarter, you know, like I wanted George the Edible Steele to beat Randy Savage. And now looking back on it, like I realize how kind of ludicrous that is, but at the same time, you know, as a kid, that's, that was what they were going for. Yeah. You wanted the guy to win. Yeah. Um, I have have a couple of friends who did go to that, you know, that, you know, again, it was before my time watching wrestling by just a little bit, but some friends who, you know, were into wrestling were there because it was in uh, that 
part of WrestleMania two was at the Nassau Coliseum, which was mm. not too far from where I lived in Long Island. So nice, nice. Um, yeah, I yeah, I, I thought that uh, obviously the lead up, the build to Savage and Steamboat was perfect. The you know the the, the crushing of, of Steamboat's windpipe and yeah. um, you know all the all the heel stuff that uh, Savage was doing, and then of course you get the match. You know, the thing is, people talk about that match so much, and, and it is so good. It is incredible. Uh, the one thing that I think that people sometimes maybe forget is that match is only like 14 and a half minutes long. Mm. It is not one of those like classic, like 30 plus minute, you know, uh, uh, matches. Like we think of when we think of like great matches right. or even great WrestleMania matches. Um yeah, and I mean, to me, I think that's great. I mean, I don't think you need to be have a half an hour to tell a great story if you can tell it in 15 minutes. And they definitely told a great story in that time uh, yeah. that people remember. And again, we'll watch over and over all the... And apparently it was, you know, many, many pages uh, uh, written out in great detail that Ricky Steamboat had to memorize yeah. <laughs> for yeah. all, all, the, all the tales on that, but... <laughs> Yeah, they worked it out in Savage's backyard. He had a ring in his backyard in Florida. And they, you know, they would rehearse the match down there. And then they had the um, the legal pads. And apparently they would quiz one another in the dressing rooms, you know. Um, and, and, and they would do this thing, which is such like an actor thing to do, um, where, you know, you don't always like start at the beginning. Like, you know, you've got a trouble spot in a script. You know, some lines that, and this is for theater mostly, you know, for, for film and television, it's very different. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll know where your trouble spots are. And so sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're with your, your, uh, scene partner, you'll just kind of, you know, start with a line in the middle of a scene and kind of go from there. And they would do that backstage. They would kind of, they'd be like, all right, move 22. And then they would just rattle back and forth, back and forth until they got to, you know, a place where they're like, okay, okay. Um, and they did this like all in the buildup until they just, they had it in their bones. And there are, you know, there are times when steamboats talking about that match when I'm just sort of like, I'm curious. It's like, does he still know that match? Like the way he talks about it. (laughs) Yeah. You got to think he probably does, you know, at least least probably 90% of it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, after he lost the intercontinental title at three, the interesting thing is, is that he, you know, he was set on a course that shortly thereafter put him, you know, firmly as a baby face and started that build towards WrestleMania four, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to put him as the guy that people wanted to see win that tournament after the title belt had been, had been vacated. And of course there were, um, you know, there was the stuff with Honky Tonk Man um, uh, on Saturday night's main event and, you know, and everything that that really kind of started to change, you know, change his persona and how the fans perceived him. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's when I definitely bought in, you know, that that turn versus Honky Tonk Man or he was I guess he was he was fighting. Was he fight, facing Bret Hart? then i believe in that match right and then yeah. and then honky tonk man comes out yeah comes yeah, out. yeah yeah everything. that's when i was like oh okay you know i really started getting into them there and that's when i again also realized for the first time that the title did not change hands on a disqualification i was like oh he won the title back now nah, it's disqualification yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, you days is a wrestling fan the really cool thing too about that bret hart match is bret hart talks about uh, that match believe it or not in detail in his book and oh. one of the things that he talks about is the fact that savage 
uh, really wanted to go like 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and so they had the match all planned out, you know, they were going to do 20 minutes. They, they knew exactly what they wanted to go with. And then, you know, Vince came to them or one of the road agents came to them kind of at the last minute and was like, you got 10 minutes and they were really disappointed. Um, you know, but at that time, Brett had no clout really to speak right. of. And, and Savage was in a position where it's just sort of like, I don't want to screw things up by, you know, going fighting for this extra time. Maybe we don't need it. We'll just go out there and do it. And the thing is you watch that match and I think they actually did go a little over 10 minutes, but you yeah. watch that, you, you watch that match and it's, it's, they do some really, really great like work on body parts, which wasn't something you necessarily saw a ton of in WWF during that time, you know? Um, and, and so they're, you know, they're working like uh, hearts working Savage's ankle, which is really smart, you know, I and mean, he can't walk, he can't climb to the top. He can't drop the elbow, you know? And then, um, you know, Savage starts working Bret Hart's leg and there's, just some really really cool stuff that was a little bit different from what you were seeing uh kind of on a regular basis um and we get to wrestlemania 4 of course he faces dibiase in the finals of the tournament um you know hogan obviously comes out and uh it helps a little bit but he, he wins the tournament he wins the title and uh 364 days, man. He's the champ. <laughs> yeah, that was the, yeah, that, that was big there. Yeah, because I mentioned before, WrestleMania four was the first time I watched the pay per view live. I had you know big uh, bunch of people over at my house. Is the first time I really knew the concept of a tournament. Uh, you know, as a tournament master, that's what started it all. I held a tournament pool where everybody at the party filled out a bracket. You know, so that was my first time doing all that there too. Uh, my friend Ted won. Nice. He had Macho Man over Ted DiBiase in the finals. I uh, was not expecting a couple of draws in there that kind of threw off my whole, you know, scoring mechanism. But uh, sure, but uh, no, that that uh, yeah, and I think that really cemented it there. You know, I think I remember kind of going in school, you know, and, and you know, talking to other kids, talking to teachers, like who's going to win the tournament, you know. And I think the the big consensus I think was was Randy Savage going in. Like every, the whole talk was Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan in the finals because they were. On opposite sides of the brackets, of course, yeah. you know, not thinking, you know, oh, you know, Ted DiBiase, of course, is gonna cheat his way to the finals. But. Right, right. <laughs> it, yeah, I, you know, you look back at that at that tournament, and it's funny because that WrestleMania, like not all of the matches are great, you know, just to, yeah. just by kind of the, the function of the tournament. Some of those matches had to be fairly short, and you got a couple that were sure. longer, uh, but. Um, but memorable and still fun. Like, I feel like that's a mania. It's a, it's a long one, you know, especially yeah. by the early standards, you know, you know obviously it was uh, two, two VHSs there. That's you know? right. I was going to mention that earlier, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, it was, it was a long one, but it was fun to always put that one in. And I, I have very vivid memories of like, you know, I think, 99 it had to have been 99 uh based off of where we were living i had that 14 vhs box set that had like all the first 14 manias in it and uh and four three and four were the two i think that got the the biggest workout uh for for me and um i can remember just putting four in because it was so long and that would be like my saturday afternoon playing the game like I, oh. that's what i would do I, I to this day i still usually will throw wrestling on while i'm playing just kind of for you know for atmosphere or whatever but sure. um 
uh yeah just a, a cool a cool concept it was i think it was my first wrestling tournament that i had seen because i didn't see the wrestling classic we, di- we didn't mention that earlier but savage of course made it to the finals of that uh losing to the junkyard dog right, which was right. uh which was a, a tournament that they did um he well, also his pay-per-view actually that's right he won the um he won the uh 1987 king of the ring um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean he you, you know he was um he was anointed at that point. He was, he was it, you know, and yeah. this was the, his, so, so this was his, his third tournament in, in the WWF, his second tournament win. So no wonder he captured the heart of the tournament master. There you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, as mentioned, he would spend the next year as the champ. Um, he would have return matches with DiBiase. He would feud a little bit with, uh, you know, Rick Rude even, um, but mostly with DiBiase. That would lead, of course, to the mega powers really, truly coming together at SummerSlam. Um, and then, uh, he had, you know, Hogan had lust in his eye. That's right. Everything. How do you remember? Did you watch that live? The split? The, the, the main event, uh, yeah. there. Yeah. That was the, I think the second Friday night's main event after the big, you know, title change the year before. Yeah. Yes, I did. I, yeah, of, of course I was watching that, that one live for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, you, you saw it was coming, you know, there was a couple of things that, that led up to that. I mean, obviously, you know, SummerSlam, they were kind of together. There's a little something there. Survivor Series, there's definitely a little bit more. Royal Rumble, like they were, I think, you know, uh, Hogan eliminated Savage in there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you, you knew, you knew things were, were coming to a head there. And then, uh, with that, that, I mean, that, yeah, I, I mean, kind of going back is like Hulk Hogan's a jerk. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so funny that you say that because like I was a huge Hogan fan when I was a kid. Like I was just, uh, I mean, he was the guy for me. Right. And, 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 and then all this stuff happened with Savage and I was just kind of like, man, I, I remember the Royal Rumble in particular kind of pissing me off. I was just sort of like, dude, that's Hogan's fault. Like uh, yeah. Hogan's the jerk there. <laughs> yeah, Hogan's the jerk in almost every single aspect of it there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Although I will say that when I was a kid, the main event, the main event too did kind of, I, I felt bad for Hogan in so much as like, he's trying to take care of, he's trying to help Elizabeth out. Like Elizabeth, Elizabeth could be her, yeah. you know? And now, and now like looking back on it, like I could totally see both when he, sides. like you know? abandoned his partner right, out there with right. these two gigantic guys. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. The one man gang, I mean, Akeem and the big boss man. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, I, it was such an interesting angle, though. And and the cool thing is, is going back, you know, watching the backstage stuff that occurred, you know, after the match, in my opinion, still holds up. Like in terms, especially of that WWF style production of backstage segments sure, sure. Um, that they don't do well anymore, in my opinion, at all. But that, you know, there was a time they did so well. And the Attitude Era, they did a lot of those really, really well. You'd have those backstage right. segments kind of similar to this. And I just I just loved it. I thought it worked then. I think it works now. Um, and I think the Mania match that they have is great. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's probably one of Hogan's best mania matches and i think i read that uh savage had like an elbow infection uh, going to that's why his elbow is all like taped that's up right. and whatnot. Yeah. yeah yeah that's absolutely right um he uh yeah he actually checked himself out of the hospital uh in order to in order to wrestle um that's kind of wow. crazy he had a fever wow. and everything i think yeah yeah um but uh uh yeah what a man what a, what a cool match too, and and one of the things that that happened in that match that we didn't see a lot in WWF is that there was blood. Hogan got busted open. He got some color in the match, um, which I thought was was also kind of a cool visual. Um, 
it wasn't you know the the best blood we've ever seen in a no. but you yeah. know hey okay. uh, <laughs> uh they would you know kind of continue the feud there'd be the SummerSlam match where they bring in zeus from no hold barred no holds barred why not you know <laughs> yeah exactly um and then we got the macho king what did you think of the macho king gimmick i was aboard the macho king yeah um yeah i mean i i liked it. i mean the, the the king crown was always you know it was around for a little bit i think it was uh well, you know, Harley Race had it, I guess, based off the King of the Ring. Haku kind of took it over once Race was out. And then they had their match at Royal Rumble. Jim Duggan won it for Jim some Duggan. reason yeah. there for a bit. But I you know, I think once Macho Man got it and kind of made it his own, did something different, you know, Queen Sherry really kind of, you know, went all in on it. You know, I thought it, I thought it was fun. You know, yeah. it kind of gave him something else to do. He, you know, he wasn't you know, necessarily the title picture, but he had this title can lord over people and really brought, you know, really amped up the, the, the heel savage again more. So, and also really was the impetus for the change in his attire that would kind of lead for the rest of his career after that. Yeah. He dropped the, the short tights and went dropped with the, the long tights. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, my, you know, my favorite savage is always that WrestleMania three, four, cause that's when I, you know, first started watching him, but I think, to a lot of people, the you know that that uh, you know the more tassels and the the full body suit, and later on the cowboy hat. That's probably a little bit more. I think a lot of other people remember him more that way. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the full body suit thing in just a moment. Actually, yeah. I want to talk about that. But, but uh, one of the things that I loved about this particular run was the scepter. Yes. Uh, in fact, I remember his Hasbro figure, the king figure, came with like the scepter and the crown, and yep. the scepter he you know used quite a lot to great effect to win matches. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it's funny because I still kind of liked him a lot at that point. Um, you know, the pairing with Sherry and everything, like it was oh, yeah. clear that he was a bad guy. And so I, I didn't like him, but I still kind of liked him. Um, oh, I still liked him. I, <laughs> I, I didn't care here or face at that point. That was, he was just one of my favorites. So. Yeah. Now I will say that once we got to WrestleMania seven, I was back on board all the way. Um, He held Jim Helwig's hand to the greatest match of the ultimate warrior's (laughs) career. Um, Beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that that's the greatest match of his career. Uh, And, and, and to be, to be fair, it's probably one of Savage's greatest matches too. Honestly, Mm -hmm. the career threatening match at WrestleMania seven, the post match is, is, probably still one of the more iconic moments in WWF history yeah. with, you know, with Elizabeth coming out and, um, you know, basically rescuing him from Sherry, from Sherry yeah. which is kind of cool. You know, yeah. it's like, what a great way, you know, if, if he is riding off into the sunset, which obviously he didn't, what a great way for, for that to kind of happen. Um, and that led to uh, him taking a little time off and then eventually to SummerSlam that year, and the match made in heaven, yeah. which I was at live oh. uh, in Madison Square Garden. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. I remember saving some of the confetti that that came down uh, during the po- during after the wedding. There, <laughs> that's awesome. Which, of course, that wedding would jumpstart his next big feud because there would be the snake in the box angle um, with with him and Liz when they were opening their presents. Uh, I was I again at that time as a kid. I think it was what was I? I would have been eleven. I think when this was all going down. Um, no, I guess it would have been ten. I would have been ten. Um, the uh i was just so into it though because uh 
the whole reinstate Savage thing, I wanted that so bad. Like I, I would be, I would scream it at my TV, you know, <laughs> uh, I, it's like, this has to happen. And I remember when it finally did happen and he got the match with, with uh, Jake the snake at Tuesday in, in Texas. Like yep. I was so on board. Yep. Um, in fact, I can remember it was one of the few times when I was more interested in that match than I was Hogan's match. Like usually like I still kind of gravitated yeah, towards, towards Hogan, but yeah, Yeah. the, that was, I was more interested in, in, in um, Savage and and Jake the snake. Um, You know, it's funny. You look back at those matches and I don't know that the matches necessarily hold up uh, to the, to all the angles that preceded it. I think by that time, you know, Jake was, and he would probably admit this himself was not, in any shape to really be in a ring wrestling. Uh, He could still pull off the promos and some of that sort of stuff, but you know, his best in ring years were probably even behind him already by that point. Um, You know, drugs and alcohol do that too. So, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but I, yeah, I I thought it was great to kind of get him back in that way. Uh, And then of course they, you know, they would have a rematch. Um, They, they, they kept going and then, and then came Ric Flair uh and i have to be honest in some ways like you can talk all you want about steamboat and sting and etc but in some ways for me growing up flair's most iconic foe was randy savage Hmm. and the fact that their feud you know existed in wwf carried over into wcw i was so like i was hooked on that and that was one of the things that got me watching wcw regularly like i was watching it and paying attention to it mostly because of sting frankly before that but it was but it was honestly that i started watching in earnest when when savage went over um and started feuding with flair um yeah i remember i remember seeing all the the doctored photos and like you know it was a wwf magazine or whatever with you know rick and rick and liz at the pool actually at, at vince's mansion apparently is where they were really filmed that you know yeah yeah um so yeah savage would win uh his his second wwf championship by beating rick flair at wrestlemania 8 um they had a great match uh and and let me just say that that was kind of me as a kid that felt that way now as an adult looking back like when i think of rick flair i do think of like steamboat and sting and you know and other people um more so than i would think of savage that he obviously had better matches with other people than he did with savage but they still had great matches together um should have been hogan and flair there but you know Savage and uh, Flair, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I did get to see the Hogan and Flair match in WWF at MSG. So, I mean, I got got to see it, but it should have been a Mania. I mean, come on. <laughs> you, was there, just out of curiosity, based off of your experience, was, was there truth to the statements that have been made that they weren't getting the reaction that they thought they were going to get? No. <laughs> No, <laughs> because you know not. you know that's the story, right? That's the, the story. But yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know what the real reason. Oh, we can do two main events, or we can boost up to justice, or I don't know what the real reason was right. in that. But yeah, I mean, they really that that's probably one of the biggest you know WrestleMania like blunders. You know, just yeah. changing that because it was announced initially. If you remember, right. yep. they had the press conference. I think if I remember right, it was. Um, they were now saying, oh, who's going to be the the, the 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 challenger? They had Hogan, Undertaker, uh, Randy Savage, and I think like one or two other guys in there too. Maybe it was Piper, maybe in there too. 
I forget who it was, but yeah, could be Piper was Intercontinental Champion at the time. I know that. Uh, maybe, yeah, because yeah, because he just because he had to face Bret Hart then. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I remember at least there's definitely those three guys were in there. Oh, and Sid, Sid Justice, I think maybe was in there too. But they had like a couple guys there, and they announced Hogan as the guy who was going to face Flair, um, Jack Jack Tunney, good old Jack Tunney. Yep. Did. And then in the end, they they I guess Hogan's like, oh no, I don't want the title. I want to face Sid Justice. I'm like. I, I don't get that, but I mean, it's still, you know, it, it kicked off a great feud with, with Savage and, and Flair. So, you know, I guess something good happened out of it, but you right. know, just, you know, what could have been so a little bit, yeah, it just should have happened then. But. You know, fascinating, fascinating story. And again, I don't like to, you know, uh, talk like this. I don't know if I've earned the right to necessarily, but the heck with it. Uh, the interesting thing about that WrestleMania is that, you know, Ric Flair uh, bladed on camera. Like it's pretty obvious that he was blading <laughs> and he got fined uh, money for it because at that time there was a no blood policy. Right. Of course, that was also the same WrestleMania that had Piper and Hart, which is one of my favorite matches ever. I still love that match between Piper and Hart and Hart bladed like worse than pipe or worse than flair did like he was a mess mm. the thing is is that bret hart which a lot of people don't necessarily notice because he didn't bleed a whole lot in his wwf days but in stampede like he was bleeding all the time and uh and and a lot of people consider him one of the best at it and huh. this match was evidence of that because he 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 did a blade job and no one knew he did it they convinced wow. Piper and Hart convinced everyone when they got back that it was an accident that he that he'd really cracked himself open. He didn't get a fine, and Flair wow. did, which is <laughs> hilarious. That's great. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, after this, um, you know, Savage would carry the title for a while. He had a really cool match in the UK with Shawn Michaels, which is on the Macho Madness DVD. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, and it planted the seed that, uh, I, this is kind of one of those stories that I don't know, you know, how well people know this, that Savage pitched an idea to Vince about doing a, I, well, I've heard it's a year long, but somebody else, I, I also heard it was two years long. So who knows exactly, but he pitched the idea for a long-term feud with Shawn Michaels. And the idea would be, is that Savage would hold the belt for like a year or, or a year plus, and that he would feud with Shawn Michaels and he'd beat Shawn Michaels. He'd beat Shawn Michaels. He'd beat Shawn Michaels. He'd beat Shawn Michaels. And then eventually at the end, he'd put Shawn Michaels over for the title and, you know, and he would retire because Vince was kind of putting pressure on him to retire. Um, and, uh, and Vince nixed the idea, you know, was like, no, we're not going to, that's not the direction we're going to go. And I got to tell you, Vince has had some bad ideas in his time. That idea, nixing that idea might be one of the worst ideas that he ever had. Cause <laughs> I, to this day, I want to see a year long feud between Randy Savage and Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah. It would have been incredible. And that was just Sean just starting out as a singles guy too, right? So yeah, maybe he wasn't, wasn't really long, kind of yeah. built up in Vince's mind that's the right guy. Yeah, he didn't have his intercontinental run and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, this was around the time of the steroid scandal. And so this was uh, around the time that Vince wanted to go to smaller guys. But he also right, had a lot right. of, you know, stuff on his plate too. And, sure. um, you know, who knows exactly what uh, what else went into that. But um, anyway, you know, at this time, you know, Savage would kind of – he would still have a, a good run, if you will, uh, uh, even after losing the title back to Flair uh, in September. But it would definitely not be at the level that he had 
been seen at before. Um, you know, he, he did some, some cool stuff where he got to go down to USWA and be in Memphis and face Lawler again. He got to make some appearances for Cornette and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So he's getting to do some cool stuff, you know, outside of WWF. But it was clear that Vince kind of saw him as, you know, it's time, it's time for you to stay out of the ring, basically. Um, and the, this brings us to the bodysuit thing. The interesting thing is, and this is a tie into the steroid scandal, is that around this time, as a result of A, not being on steroids anymore, and B, being depressed because he, was, you know, he had just gone through the divorce uh, or was going in the process of going through the divorce from Elizabeth, he gained weight. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people know. And one of the reasons why he wore that bodysuit was to hide that he had a gut. Huh. Um, he was no longer kind of that, you know, that, that toned, you know, slimmer savage of, of yesteryear. And so that was one of the reasons why he went with the bodysuit. Now, obviously, he, you know, he ended up getting into better shape uh, afterwards. And, you know, he went to WCW and he wrestled there for a while. And the thing is, is when he got into WCW, he knew he could get back on the gas because WCW didn't drug test. So <laughs> there you go. Like, you know, do whatever I want now. Um, what did you think of his final days in WWF? Um, it was around, I remember WrestleMania 10, he fought Crush. Is that? kind of right around that time then because that's right as i was kind of getting out of wrestling for a couple of years so like i was going you know finishing up high school going to college so like right as he was finishing up and his early wcw time uh i was kind of out of it so you know i didn't you know i don't really remember too much from those days personally yeah it was yeah that was indeed wrestlemania 10 was his last televised match actually for wwf yeah okay I know he still commentated a little bit on Raw yeah. and whatnot after that, but yeah, he was actually on Raw. His last Raw was Halloween night uh, in '94, and then um, he signed with WCW almost immediately and uh, made his first appearance December third uh, in 1994. Um, and you know, he kind of immediately sort of you know got into that main event picture. Um, you know, teaming with Hogan and, you know, there being tension between Hogan, who's, you know, is he on Hogan's side? He's not on all that sort of stuff. And, um, but eventually he ended up winning the, the WCW world heavyweight championship, uh, world war three and feuded with flair. Um, yeah. And, you know, then about a year later he was in WO. Okay. So, um, so he was in, I know, I remember when I got back into it, he was in the Wolfpack MWO at that point. Okay. So before that happened, uh, there, the, the, you know, the interesting thing is, is that he um, had initially been on the side of WCW. In right. fact, in the, you know, the Bash at the Beach match. Right, he was on Team was, WCW. Yeah, exactly, with Sting and Luger. Um, and then he, you know, he initially, for, for probably three or four months, you know, was, was still firmly teamed WCW. It wasn't until uh, like January um, of the next year when he, when he went NWO black and white and he was NWA NWO black and white for all of 97 in 1997. He had, in my opinion, one of his greatest feuds ever. And that was with diamond Dallas page. They had I'm hearing a, a lot about that. Uh, feud. I think I need to go back and watch some of that, but uh, yeah, the, so the, they, they had three singles matches in particular that were, uh, you know, all three of them were stellar. The great thing about them is, is they were all kind of like, you know, no DQ falls count anywhere. Uh, and then finally, uh, Texas death match, although it was called like a Las Vegas 
sudden death match or something like that. Uh, and the the no DQ match at Spring Stampede was crazy. The Falls Count Anywhere match at, at Great American Bash was great. And then the uh, Las Vegas sudden death, death match was at Halloween Havoc. Um, and, uh, you know, interference in all of them, uh, obviously. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that DDP won the first one and then Savage won the next two. And I think just about anybody that you ask will tell you that he should have won the last one. Um, DDP should have won the last yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that was the whole point of the feud. And I, and it almost makes you wonder, it's like what happened there. And I've, and I've, you know, read things that Hogan got in Savage's ear and, you know, and told him not to, you know, that, that he didn't want to do that because, you know, that wasn't the time for DDP, all this sort of stuff. And, um, and the funny thing is, is that, the whole feud started off because Savage was like, I can make money with that guy. I can make that guy. And he did in a way, but you could argue that had he lost the last match, you know, had DDP gone over in the end, the DDP would have been even bigger earlier, you know? Um, So for whatever it's worth, for whatever it's worth, I will say that, but that said, the matches were incredible. The feud itself was incredible. The segments they had together on uh, Nitro were amazing. It led to one of my favorite Nitro moments ever, which is when DDP dressed up as Laparka and beat uh, Savage uh, in a match, dressed as Laparka, and then took the mask off at the end of the match, uh, which was just I awesome. I have seen that clip before, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, just great stuff, and, and probably his last, you know, his last hurrah in a lot of ways. Um, and then, of course, in 98, like you were saying, they did the Wolfpack thing and he was a member of the Wolfpack. He actually was like, he started the Wolfpack with Kevin Nash because he and Hogan were kind of going back and forth, going at it. And uh, uh, he didn't trust Hogan anymore. And Nash kind of spurred him on. And so he and Nash broke off and formed the Wolfpack. And then of course the Wolfpack became more popular than the black and white. Hogan got jealous and that screwed everything up, but All right. uh, <laughs> you know, anyway. uh, sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, he would, you know, spend, the latter half of 98 on the shelf with double knee surgery. He came back in 99. When he came back in 99, he was a completely different guy. He was so gassed up and he was, you know, just different, just different all around. he had gorgeous George with him at that point. And he kind of made sporadic appearances. He won the title again, actually, but he didn't really. Everybody won the title that well in 99. Uh, <laughs> David Arquette won the title. Exactly. I mean, come on, what do you want? Yeah. But uh, uh, that was kind of, you know, that was kind of the last hurrah for him in a lot of ways. <clears throat> he, um, you know, he did the Spider-Man movie. Um, you know, after Bonesaw. That's right. Um, he spent he spent a month in uh, in TNA in two thousand four, um, and then yeah, after that, he just kind of he kind of faded away. He kept a low profile. Except for a rap album, you know that, that that might have been about you know the other the only other thing I remember during that time. Right, right, yeah, that would have been before the TNA run, but yeah, oh, I right. guess yeah, it was before the right. TNA run, though. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, and then um, you know ended up marrying his uh, sweetheart from from his past, and was you know by all accounts very happy, very content, you know not being really involved with anything. Uh, although he did oddly enough shoot a commercial for WWE All Stars video game. Uh, which is his first like WWE involvement in well, like almost 20 years, I want to say. Um, he, and that was like one of the last things he ever did uh, mm-hmm. on camera. And, uh, and then of course, you know, passed away. 
And I think um, around that time too, like the Mattel folks reached out to him and started yeah. doing the, the the action figures. They they reached out directly to him and, and whatnot. Apparently, I yeah, I heard an interview with with the designers. Uh, was, I guess it was I guess it was with Jeremy Padauer, I think, who does the AW figures now, and he was saying how you know he got to to talk with him and you know and such a great experience you know meeting him and getting him and in, in signed there and was so excited and i mean so many great action figures over the years of all these different you know incarnations of him and including the slim jim one they did last year which is absolutely epic so yeah yeah, yeah. i have the ultimate edition one that's the only one of his that i have but uh i my hope is kind of like what you were talking about earlier is they'll make an ultimate edition where he's in kind of his wrestlemania 3 yeah. era gear because this one is when he's in his kind of his like 1992 era gear where he's got the bodysuit and everything and it's a great figure i mean the the, the ultimate editions are they're ultimate. I mean, they are, they're, they're probably the best wrestling figure you can buy, you know? Sure. Um, and I don't say that lightly because the AEW figures are pretty amazing, but, but um, I guess it's just the accessories, the articulation, the number of interchangeable parts and stuff is, is yeah. pretty neat. It's cool. They're able to do all that there. I do have a defining moments of that WrestleMania three uh, Savage and then the WrestleMania seven as well. I have that nice. one there on my, uh, on my shelf there. So I blame also, you. You also, caused me to go down that rabbit hole. I know, I, I did. You. That was all my fault. <laughs> the one other thing I will say I have up there, which you can see again, people, I apologize, can't see there, is the uh, the play school, was the Playmates uh, figures of Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior, which uh, I got from a fellow promoter, uh, Brock Atkinson. So thank you, Brock, for nice. that. That's really cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I... I, you know, growing up, I had figures of his. I had uh, one that was kind of in his WrestleMania three attire, and then I had that Macho King figure with the Hasbro figures. I never mm-hmm. had any of the uh, LJN figures. Oh, I had up. the LJN. I had two different ones because the one the paint rubbed off so much because I used it so often, and I got another one from a friend of mine. I did a couple of years ago. You know, was like, oh, I should really get a mint on card one. And I'm like, at the time, you know, I was like, ah, do I really want to spend, you know, two hundred and fifty dollars on this? I would love to spend $250 on that now. I mean, yeah, that's like right. a $1,000 figure at least right now. I'll probably get one at one point, but I really got to. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. It, it, it will it will cool off. Like, I'm not saying you, you're probably. It'll cool off a little maybe, but I, I mean, that's only something. That's one of those ones I think that's going to really hold value in the long term. I, I, I just I have a feeling that what's going to happen, especially once we kind of get into the, the, the post pandemic world, there, there's going to be two things that happen. These prices are going to drop. It'll never be two hundred and fifty dollars again. You're like, I agree with They'll you. They'll never be done. But that, yeah. but I don't think it's going to hold that thousand dollar value. I think it'll I, I think it will drop. I think most of them will drop. I think a lot of them will level off. I think some of them will maybe even drop back to where they used to be or around where they used to be. It might take some time. Yeah. Um, but but well, I, I could, right right now, people have a lot of money that they're not spending on going to trips. They haven't been going to concerts. To wrestling right. shows, you right. know, stuff like this. I guess especially this wrestling shows, and now with all that travel coming back and all those you know, disposable income going to that, people are going to need more disposable income and might be willing to sell some of the stuff that they've been collecting the last you know fifteen months. So I right. can see that happening. 
And and some of it, you know, like I say, some of it might hold value. Some of it might even go up, you know, because it may be that there are certain pieces and that could be one of them that people say, I'm not getting rid of this. I'll get rid of all the the rest of the stuff, but I'm holding onto this. And so it'll just be a case of like, you know, supply and demand and there'll be few of them out there. And so people will be able to charge more. But uh, I think some of it will will end up leveling off at some point. Um, Well, speaking of collectibles there, I think we should probably talk about the different Randy Savage cards that we have in the game. I think that's a brilliant idea, Todd. Yeah. So, uh, what well, the uh, um, so I, I think the the impetus, yeah, where it all started though, uh, was back in 2013. Uh, in uh, I guess what was it? It was either late March or early April. Uh, Tom came to New Jersey, and uh, we had a booth at WrestleCon, uh, which was right before WrestleMania 29 in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. Uh, so we had a table there and, you know, we were, you know, selling, selling games the whole weekend. There was a bunch of different wrestling shows that were going on from different companies. This was kind of, it was almost like, you know, all the different WrestleMania things that were going on indie wise and, and convention wise, it was all in one place that year. There wasn't the multiple <laughs> different ones where you had WrestleCon and, uh, whatever GCW, GCW didn't exist at that point, but you know, CZ, <laughs> you know, under that t- under the time you had CZW, Chikara, um shimmer everything was all under one roof and uh you know a number of different wrestling guests were there too so you know we 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 had representation there and uh that is when tom first met lanny poffo and uh you started talking to him and uh, that kind of relationship started there and kept on going and then at galacticon that summer a couple months later that's when he announced that you know there was a three pack coming up and uh that he first showed you know angelo Poffo, then lanny Poffo, then he showed a third one which i forget what it was and then he's like no 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 it's really randy macho man savage and so everyone went nuts uh, at that one for sure uh so yeah that was announced the Poffo madness three pack in um uh july well it was announced july 2013 i think it came out probably somewhere around September or so. You know, it's funny because I think had it been any later than that, there's a good chance it never would have happened. Right. Because yeah, it, really it was shortly, yeah, it was shortly after when Lanny did the, the legends deal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and they started bringing Randy back into the fold and then did the hall of fame uh, uh, and everything in, in 2015. But, but, you know, the, the Blu-ray DVD came out in 2014 and they had done a lot of stuff before that um, in, in 2014. So yeah, had it been any later, there's a chance that it might've never happened. So the timing really was perfect. The timing was absolutely perfect. And then I think right around that time, also Lanny uh, was a guest on the Phil Singer podcast at that time, the, uh, uh, view from Phil Singer headquarters with uh, Wiggy. So there was a there's an interview. I know she's going back and reposting a lot of her old interviews. So I think that one will probably be up on her site again soon. But that was uh, definitely a really cool one. And you know, kind of at that point, he's like, you know, Lanny was like, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? And you know, all this and it was stuff that eventually would come to be. But, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting to think uh, it, worth noting that one of the reasons why he wasn't in the Hall of Fame is that he told everybody that the only way he'd go in is if they inducted his brother and his dad along with him. 
Um, and, you know, they, for whatever reason, they weren't going to do that. And then of course, when it came up to Lanny, you know, Lanny kind of relented because he was like, no, it's my, you know, at first he said, no, it's my brother's wish was for all three of us. And then finally he relented and was like, no, you know what? He should be in there. That's all there is to it. I don't care about the rest of it. It might not might go against his wishes, but this is one time I'm okay with doing that. And, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's the wishes of the fans, you know, I right. think that too. So yeah. 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 Um, uh, and then later on that year, uh, there was the legends madness set that came out that, uh, that winter. Uh, and then that one had the first color legends card, uh, which was, you know, the Randy Savage, uh, you know, iconic one with him in the cowboy hat and the you know, orange tassels and all that. Uh, so that was like a bonus along with, with the, the rest of the regular set uh, there. So, yeah, we got two Savage cards, like one in August and, uh, and then the one in December. Man, let's just say it's, it's so awesome. You know, I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, you can absolutely always use as a selling point for the game. Um, you oh, know, yeah. there's, there's just no other way uh, around it. And, and uh, I think that that color card was just, it really was kind of the beginning of something really. It was. Yeah. No, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. At that time, like everything was still in black and white. That was really the only, color legends card for quite a while um but we did eventually do a color legends starter set and at that point it was like well you know we already have a color savage card (laughs) but it was me they being like yeah that's great we need to have randy savage in this as well and he needs to be in his you know 80s garb so that was you know that was definitely me pushing for that one you know just to include him in into there having that different version that more you know earlier version again one that's most iconic to me uh a cool different pose where he's up on the on the ropes you know that you know we had already done the different one with um him you know kind of pointing and whatnot on the black and white the first black and white card this one here is like i wanted the silver robe and and stuff like that i thought that all needed to be in there so i i love that picture um that we yeah. used for the color starter set i agree i think that the the color starter set is my favorite of the three cards um i i, I think that not only the artwork which i just i love for all the reasons you just mentioned but the fact that it adds the mechanic on the back for him yeah. to do the you know the the, the move for the the, the double axe handle yeah, double off axe the handle. top. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, just everything about it. The, also the change to the power, um, you know, his power rating on the first two cards was zero. And I think, you know, myself included, there were a lot of promoters that were just kind of like, he was stronger than that. Like, yeah. I mean, he was, he had some power. And so it's now it's the negative one, which I think is, you know, absolutely where it should be. Right. And, um, uh, yeah, it, just such a great, just such a great card. And, uh, um, I, I mean, what more can you say? You know, we're, we're so lucky to be able to have him in the game, to have him represented uh, in, in such a, an amazing card, to have the, you know, those three iconic pieces of art um, and, uh, and, and, and to have him included in the Legends starter set, color starter set, I think is essential, you know, because again, he's a selling point, you know, and, and yeah, you can say like, oh, well, we had a color card or, oh, we had the other card. And it's like, no, nah, you need him. You need him in that set. Yeah. Um, I thought that was important. To yeah. Have in there. Yeah. 
Uh, it's interesting going, you know, thinking about the double axe handle real quick. Uh, I was watching his very first WWE televised match against Rick McGraw earlier today. And uh, when he does that move, like Gorilla Monsoon sells it like it is the, I mean, like, like there has never been a move like that ever in the history <laughs> of wrestling. Like it's, it's kind of incredible the way that they're just like, oh my God, you know, it's just, and how kind of different it was for the time, you know, to do something like that. Yeah. that was very revolutionary at the time. Yeah. People yeah. were coming off the top rope like that, especially not down to the floor and whatnot later right. on that he was doing. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty we, huge. We, you know, we used the word earlier with New Jack, and 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 I think obviously Randy Savage occupies a rarefied air that is completely different from anything New Jack could ever aspire to. <laughs> sure. But that said, you know, unique. Randy Savage was unique, even though he drew on things from other people. You know, like we talked about with Pampero Furpo, like he was just so unique, and I think that it, it set him apart from from everyone else. And it's probably one of the reasons why Vince saw him. And heard about him, you know, from Jerry Jarrett and was like, yeah, I want to, I, I, I want that guy. I, I think that that guy, and, and, and the reason why immediately he was kind of thrust into the spotlight, like this is the hottest free agent there is. So, um, he had that, he had that thing, that thing that, that just, yeah. you can't, you can't, you know, you can't really learn. You can't really create it. You just, you just kind of have it sometimes. Yeah. So I got a question for you, Sam. So oh you know, I, I mentioned before about, oh, it'd be cool to kind of have that that Memphis tag team version of, of Randy Savage. If there was to be another version of Savage created, what would you like to see? Boy, oh boy. You got, again, you got that, that late WCW run. You know, you could do something with DDP. Uh, you could do the Macho King. Um, again, again no. the, early, the early career. Lots of I, different options. I think. I think maybe. I think maybe I would want. Um, I think maybe I would want something early, and the, and the main reason being that I don't know that you would change that much about him for the later stuff. Maybe like up his DQ, you know, sure. up his DQ to like a six. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, there's not a lot that I think that you would even really be able to change. Maybe up his pin uh, just a little bit. Um, but even then, you know, he still wasn't losing a lot of matches like no. we were talking about. Uh, it, it, so I, I would, I think like having like a tag version almost of him would be really kind of cool um, to, to, to put him with Lanny and do like a, you know, a tag with the two of them and have like a tag card for, for Randy would be kind of neat, but there's also a part of me that's like, and, and, and I wonder if other people would feel the same way. So I'm interested in the comments. There's a part of me that's like, I don't know that I would want another card for him, especially when there's so many other people out there that like we want cards for, uh, it's like, do we need another savage card? Um, that said, I wouldn't say no to another savage card. (laughs) What about you? Um, yeah, I, I think that would be interesting just to just to kind of get that that early version of him there. Yeah, again, yeah, I think the, the tag with him and Lanny, I think, would be really neat. A cool historical piece in there. Uh, I'm I'm hoping we get a lot more Memphis guys in the future. Yeah, because uh, that, that's one area I haven't you know historically known a lot about. But the more and more I find out about it, it sounds you know really neat. Uh, and yeah, definitely want to know more about all the different characters there and having 
this representation of those guys that I know later on as part of that, I think that would be, I, I think that'd be, uh, I think that'd be great. And I think a lot of people would really enjoy that too. Yeah. Not to say we're doing it right away, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's fascinating to me about Memphis. I was thinking about this earlier today, believe it or not, is that you go back and you watch the matches and there are good matches. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times Memphis was a territory that I think the fan base was so committed was so into the product that like Jerry Jarrett knew that he could tell a story over multiple matches, multiple television segments. And a lot of times that resulted in the stuff that happened in the ring being like the climax. Like it would be, it'd be like walking into the last 15 minutes. Uh, Well, that's a bad example because it really starts a little bit before that walking into the last 30 minutes of Avengers Endgame and never having seen any of the rest of the Marvel movies ever. Like you get some spectacle, like you'd think it was cool, but you wouldn't understand anything that was happening. And a lot of times I get that vibe. Like when I watch Memphis wrestling, if I watch a match just by itself, it's Uh. like the context is so important. Like knowing the stories and everything that went and led up to the match. And and, And it's interesting because there's a lot of wrestling that's not like that. There's a lot of wrestling where you can just watch a match and you get a story in that match. So it's kind of it, Memphis was, is such a fascinating territory. It's it's I mean, there's some incredible, incredible moments. And, you know, it clearly influenced uh, a lot of, of what we see today and, and uh, was was a, a promotion that I think had a lot of influence on ECW, a lot of influ- influence on WWF. Um, you know, Jerry Jarrett was Vince's choice to run the company if he went to jail in the steroid trial. That's the rumor there. I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. That, no, that, that, it was that, true. It was. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. I know. Just hearing Pritchard's podcast and whatnot, I was like, yeah, I think they brought him. He's like, well, maybe it, that's not such a good idea, you know, is what, you know, the, the kind of, I don't know. Maybe that's just Pritchard. Sure. That's what Pritchard would say. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I trust about 40% of what comes out of his that's mouth. That's probably, uh, yeah, that's probably <laughs> you know, a good, a good thing there. Because it, because you have to wonder, it's like you have to wonder, it's like why would he hire him and bring him to Connecticut? But anyway, right, exactly. um, uh, so uh, you know, I want to throw out there real quick. We we mentioned you know his cards. Uh, the amazing thing is, there's a long list, and I might throw this up in the show notes or put it on the board or anything. But there uh, are tons of wrestlers that he interacted with over the course of his career uh, that are in the game. Obviously, we mentioned Diamond Dallas Page earlier, uh, Ted DiBiase, Harley Race. Um, um, you know, there's some incredible names like Rick Rude, uh, Magnum TA, who was actually a tag partner with in Georgia That's Championship wild. Wrestling, right? That's wild. I, and they were a regular enough team that they took part in like a tournament down there, uh, actually lost in the finals. So like the, the two of them teaming together would be super cool. Um but yeah, just, I, I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of names, obviously, that he interacted with that are already in the game. And again, I'll, I'll throw that up there uh, for people if they want to take a look, along with some links to matches and, and promos. But um, yeah, is there is there any like singular memory? And we've talked about a lot that maybe stands out uh, head and shoulders above above the rest for you. I mean, I, to me, it's all about the WrestleMania four run again, one yeah. that I've watched so many times there. I mean, that to me, that's probably the most iconic there. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Going through, you know, was it a butch Reed, Greg Valentine, one man gang and Ted DiBiase in the one night, all with different outfits for him and Elizabeth, you know, that, that, yeah. that was, uh, 
to me, that's, I think, the, the best memory there. And then there's a whole lead up to that, him winning the title. You know, that that's probably the peak for me. Again, that was when I was really getting into wrestling too. So I guess that's always going to, you know, help make it more memorable. Yeah. Yeah. There are a <laughs> lot. It's hard. It is hard to choose just one. And he was such a huge part of my, you know, uh, wrestling experience from, from when I was very young uh with george Steele and the steamboat and winning the title and and then even through his wcw days he was somebody that i always you know was was drawn to and um i'm actually because because there's so many in-ring moments that i love i'm actually going to go with an out of the ring one okay that cream of the crop promo man i'll tell you uh, what. yes i i just love it i love it so much <laughs> really um, awesome yeah but uh man this is this has been fun uh you know maybe we went we went a little a little too in depth a little over time with it but uh, we'll get some feedback and hear what people have to say I, <laughs> I really look forward to doing it again um i felt like in a lot of ways you know savage was kind of a softball for us it, just because we both love him you know yeah. we're both familiar with him um there are definitely guys out there that will require a little bit more research and, and be a completely different conversation, I'm sure. sure. But uh, for our first Legend Spotlight and the timing, obviously, of the 10th anniversary of his passing, yeah. when the episode drops, it just it just made sense. And we didn't even know that until right before we started recording. Right. So. It's like, oh, wait. Okay, this works out great. Yeah, yeah I, I think if we do some of these in the future. I think it might be good to have other people on that are maybe are very familiar with some of the other ones, that, other guys that we want to spotlight. So having maybe some sure. special guests on and whatnot like that would uh, would be good. Um, I think we've... You, Feel free too to give us some suggestions. If there's sure. if there's legends that you want to you know shine the spotlight on, uh, uh, let us know. You know we'll we'll put something together and uh, and yeah, um, you know I, I would love to kind of do some historical uh, elements, kind of like what I've been doing over at the Kings Road Pro Wrestling Podcast with the the All Japan '90s retrospective, and you know kind of do do something like that would be a lot of fun. So um, let us know if there's anybody in particular you want to know more about. And I think just overall, you know, we've played with a bunch of different formats of the show so far, you know, different, different features that we've been doing. Uh, I'd like to hear, you know, what things that you really enjoyed, what things, you know, do you want to see coming back, which were things like, ah, maybe a little less frequent on that. I'll probably even put up a poll at one point just to kind of see what people like the most to see which things we want to, to cycle in. Um, yeah, I think we have a good sense of where we want to go, you know, the next couple of weeks with some of the different topics um i will say next week we will be joined uh by zeke gould where we're going to break down uh everything with the best of the indie set uh and then in june is going to be galacticon month and we're going to have a bunch of stuff uh talking about galacticons of the past as well as getting us set for this year's version yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a lot of fun to talk to Zeke. Uh, I know that he's looking forward to it. We've kind of exchanged some texts recently, and uh, you know, just talking about um, card creation in particular, I think is something that we're going to focus on, which will be a lot of fun. Um, oh. So, looking looking forward to that. Um, yeah, well, I, I love the feedback. I'm glad people enjoyed the tournament episode. Uh, you know, we definitely want to do more tournaments. Um, yep. we, we, we have to, um, because the <laughs> tournament master says so. And, uh, uh, so and we will we, do we a Legends that. tournament as well. I think that's yeah. something that you know, people asked about. We'll, we'll get a rotating, you know, cast of characters in here, uh, people who are knowledgeable about this. Maybe ones who are not as knowledgeable and just kind of seeing, you know, some of their feelings on certain things as well. But, uh, you know, kind of, cycle through a couple of different uh, topics when it comes to that. Um, 
I'm very excited. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who uh, I'd love to have on here in one way or another, either promoter spotlight or in, in that form. Forum. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, feel free, obviously, to share your memories of um, Macho Man and, you know, thoughts uh, about any of the, the comments that we've made. And, uh, you know, we'd love to, to, to hear more and, and, you know, talk more, carry that conversation over into the boards if you didn't get enough of our epic conversation. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I know I'm looking forward to next week. Um, and it'll be a lot of fun to talk the indies um, and, and talk about that set. There's some really, really great names in it that I'm looking forward to talking about. And we'll also get to talk about, you know, maybe some of the prime names as well, which will be fun. Yeah, definitely. And what's cool about the Prime here is that the stats for Prime, the three different cards, are uh, written by three different people. What? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was a neat little twist there. I realized that. So that's cool. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Well, we'll have to, should we, should we, should we save that announcement for later as to who, who statted the cards? Yeah, we can, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll mention that next week then. I think that's a good <laughs> right idea. On. All right. Cool. We, we don't want to say who the names are right now anyway. So. Good point. Good point. Yeah. They, people would just, yeah, exactly. We'd spoil everything. Um, all right. Well, I think on that note, we'll give our listeners ears a break. Uh, we'll let Todd go to bed cause it's late on the East coast and, uh, yeah, it's, it's time to go home. Todd, thank you so much. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And, uh, the only thing I got to say is, Ooh, yeah. I am so glad that one of us had the guts to do it. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, oh, I guess I should do one too, right? You know, I might as well. You got it. You oh, got yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, dig it. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Send us your recordings of your best oh, yeahs. We'll play them on the next episode. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, uh, keep the dice rolling. We'll talk to you soon. And of course, we definitely want to take a moment to thank everyone who has responded on the message boards to the latest episode, The Tournament of Planets. Uh, Shout out to Lee, Troy, Matt, Pariah, L.A. Wraith, Travis605, Big Bry, Stu, KB, Rob, Faction. And, of course, our friend Vegas. Uh, We appreciate you guys interacting with us and uh, giving your thoughts on the latest episode. We look forward to hearing what everyone thinks about this episode with the Legend Spotlight. We also, of course, want to give a shout-out to uh, fellow podcasts, Uncharted Territory with the Legends crew, Stu, Corey, Chad, and Tim. Uh, We look forward to hearing more about WWWA, which is, of course, their territorial promotion that they're running after their Legends draft. And uh, we've got a little something to play for you right now, courtesy of Corey Olson. The Worldwide Wrestling Alliance will crown its first ever World Heavyweight Champion on Thursday, May 20th. This one-night eight-man elimination tournament will take place in the home of wrestling tournaments, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. If you can't travel to Brazil, you can join us on Zoom. The tournament will be hosted by none other than the tournament master and draft master himself, Todd Jorschel. The first-round matches could be main events anywhere in the world. Two powerhouses will meet when Stan Lariat Hansen collides with Steve Dr. Death Williams. In a battle of your grapplers Luthez tangles with Dan, the Beast, Severn. Nick Bockwinkle and Johnny Valentine will lock up. And Ed Strangler Lewis takes on the intelligent, sensational Destroyer. The winner of this tournament will be the top star in the WWWA and will be able to defend the title in all four territories. Action kicks off at 9 p.m. Eastern on Zoom. Check the Phil Singer Games discussion board under the Legends Fed Forum for the link. 
the WWWA World Heavyweight Championship Tournament live on Thursday, May 20th. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Roll Up, the official Phil Singer Games podcast. We certainly look forward to bringing you another episode next week. In the meantime, we hope you've enjoyed our legend spotlight on Macho Man, Randy Savage. (laughs) 